Welcome everyone to the Disco Posse Podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today. Don't forget to keep following along. You can go to discopossepodcast.com, get show notes, links, and more. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And with that, let's get started. All right, welcome aboard, everybody. Uh, this is Eric Wright. Uh, we are back uh, at the podcast. Thank you for joining. If you're a fresh listener, uh, welcome to the to the new show. Hopefully, you're enjoying uh, what's about to happen. You're going to get a great conversation. It's been a, a wild journey recently. We we've seen a lot of really really new voices and new faces coming up on the podcast. Uh, it's been one of the most incredible journeys for me as I've seen the the launch of sort of new folks that I can get opened up to. And definitely, uh, we're going to talk about a startup journey, uh, a really really cool platform. Someone who's got a great storied industry, uh, you, know, you know, storied history in the industry, uh, super dynamic speaker as well. So this is going to be fun across the board. Uh, with that, I want to welcome Vlad Edelman. Uh, Vlad, you are doing something neat with Targetable. But first of all, let's start. Introduce yourself. Tell us where we can find you online. And then we're going to get, uh, get into what Targetable is doing and the story that, that brought it to the market. Sure thing. Um, thanks for uh, having me on here, Eric. Um, really excited to talk about Targetable and kind of what we're what we're tackling. But first, my name is Vladimir Edelman. Uh, I'm the CEO and the co-founder of Targetable. And uh, before uh, Targetable, uh, I was uh, mucking around in a lot of marketing stuff and media stuff and a lot of uh, technology intersecting with uh, content and media and figuring out how to get everyday people engaged with super cool technology um, by giving them stuff that they wanted to consume. And uh, so, you know, this is uh, targetable is kind of the logical um, uh, culmination of a lot of stuff that I've done in my background, but um, do you want me to go into my background or do you want to uh, kind of portion it out? Uh, yeah, for, well, I'd, uh, I'd love to actually hear how, how, what, what brought you to, to this point in your, in your career and, and life. And, and sure. uh, that's always sometimes the most exciting story because it's generally what I found is the, the folks that I've talked to recently, they don't all just, you know, I'm a startup founder in a, in a technology I was born firm. an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, like no, no one, exactly. And it's also very few people lately that I've talked to come from like a comp sci background or they're not necessarily yeah, yeah. like programmers that built a thing. It's, it's, I love the fact that it's, you know, the, the storytellers and the people that have lived the experience and can really understand finding the problems that oh. need to be solved. And that's really what, what we're doing is amazing products are only amazing if there's a really tough problem to solve. <laughs> yeah, that's a great, that's a great point, which is, you know, I've, I've seen a lot and I'm sure you've seen um, the result of, uh, you know, startups and companies and people who build products or services or solutions to problems that they kind of think about in the abstract and haven't actually experienced firsthand. 
And, you know, the results of that are often, you know, uh, you know, uh, on the good side, they're often comical and on the bad side, uh, side they're often extraordinarily, uh, uh, you know, uh, painful and costly mistakes. And so, you know, I came to Targetable from a career of, uh, I'm actually the black sheep in my family, you know, which is primarily musicians um, and music teachers and organizers of music festivals. And, you know, I came to the country uh, as a five-year-old from the Ukraine um, or from what is now known as the Ukraine um, in 1979. And, you know, my uh, my family was uh, all musicians. And as you can uh, imagine being a, a musician in America uh, without speaking the language or anything else, uh, you know, is a, is a fairly tough journey. But, um, you know, my early focus was really uh, journalism, right? I graduated with a degree in journalism and uh, was writing and reporting uh, on uh, technology and technology trends very early on. I went to school at Boston University and was screening for the Globe and Boston Magazine and a lot of Psychology Today, Spy, a lot of media that today is either dead or digital. And um, realized early on that journalism was too high paying and that I didn't want to retire in my early 20s, a millionaire from all of the uh, money that was being thrown at me for freelance writing and uh, decided instead to kind of transition to the business of, uh, of uh, media and was fascinated by, you know, how those institutions were uh, being run and how choices were being made. And to make a long story short, I wound up doing a, a number of things that kind of helped me understand uh, early digital technology and the internet. I wound up being an executive producer at CBS, responsible for most of the large digital products there, like show with Dave Letterman, lots of TV shows that have been canceled by now, um, like uh, Chicago Hope, which will definitely date me, Brooklyn South. Um, and then moved on more and more into, um, you know, uh, uh, things that uh, were more of an intersection of multiple technologies. You know, I helped uh, create and launch a number of products for Fox and, and uh, a number of other media companies. And the best was really uh, starting and growing ESPN's uh, mobile business as their first uh, mobile employee dedicated to starting and growing a business that, you know, by the end of my tenure there um, was attracting more eyeballs than all of their other media combined except for uh, their broadcast business and also generating, you know, almost a quarter billion dollars in revenue. And uh, that was fascinating. We, you know, we grew a business that was really in its early stages of consumers engaging with brands like ESPN through their telephone devices or, or pagers and uh, early stage mobility uh, technology. And then really uh, uh, being able to look at that on a global level, running the business globally, you know, I was doing deals you know, with telecom companies and Brazil and Iceland and India and China, kind of having a really fascinating perspective on how this technology was growing. And more interestingly, how the, the people and how the demographics were defining, you know, what was popular, what was not. And, you know, if you, if you, if you remember back then the importance of ringtones, the importance of wallpapers, you know, the tens of That's hundreds right. of millions <laughs> of dollars. Yeah, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars made, you know, uh, on things like that. And then, of course, the iPhone changed a lot. But, um, you know, right around there, I, after ESPN, I, I uh, decided to, to focus more on the, on the marketing and brand side. I got tired of hearing the, the sentence I'm sure you've heard before, which is, let's go get somebody to pay for this and we'll do it if it's cool. Um, I decided, hey, let's just go and see if I can do something on the on the money side. And uh, I uh, experienced one of my first startup 
uh, opportunities taking over as CEO of Soapbox Mobile um, out in California. It was owned by a private equity fund. It was essentially a, a zombie company in a portfolio that was very, very odd. Um, and again, one of those classic examples of a private equity fund that was uh, focused on distressed debt in the medical field, all of a sudden deciding, you know what, this is really boring, uh, buying chairs from you know hospital clinics. We're going to get into the, get this, the film business and the digital agency business. A natural and, transition, uh, right? <laughs> a totally natural transition. And one where when I got there, I said, look, guys, um, you know, first of all, film business, if, uh, you know, you're going to lose money 100% of the time. People who know the industry, it's engineered to make sure people like you lose money. Um, and the digital business, really hard as well. And so, of course, you know, that, that came, came true in many ways. But in the meantime, you know, I took uh, Soapbox Mobile, which is one of the earliest text messaging platforms, and, um, you know, realized early on that, you know, to my earlier point, you know, people don't really engage with technologies and they don't really, uh, they don't really get excited about technology for the sake of technology, right? I mean, nobody's excited about more broadband uh, just because it's broadband. They're excited because they can get Netflix. They can pay, play their favorite games. They don't have, you know, stuttering and, and they don't have uh, delays. That's what gets them excited. You know, similarly with mobility and text messaging, et cetera, nobody's that excited about that unless they can actually talk to friends, play games, send things back and forth. And so quickly realizing that, I essentially built an ad agency on top of this text messaging platform to give it context, right? And to really help the customers we were trying to sell it to you know, the, the Marines, the House of Blues, uh, you know, Ford Motor Company, Procter & Gamble, define for them what they could do with it and then sell them that, you know, and, and we did that quite successfully and I wound up selling the company to Interpublic Group. And uh, out of the ashes of that, I started Ansible, which is today still one of the largest mobile marketing agencies. Um, to kind of fast forward a little bit, um, you know, I did that, did something similar for WPP, but ultimately, you know, Targetable came out of the reality that about 10 years ago, I moved to San Diego and took over as chief product officer for a company called BuzzTime. And BuzzTime was, uh, is, a, is a public company that has been around for decades and is responsible for those trivia games and, and poker games and things in bars and restaurants that people can play in different locations and it's all networked together and, and you know, gives you a reason to go into a bar or restaurant to compete with other people across the country. And that was super unique and really novel in the 80s and 90s. And then after the 2000s, you know, the idea of connectivity and the persistent availability of Wi-Fi really, you know, made it less novel. And so I was presented with the challenge of, okay, what, what do we do with these two, 3,000 customers for whom these games are becoming less and less, you know, need-to-haves and more nice-to-haves? And so, you know, the... The reality is, you know, they started to have very different problems and digital technology was, was uh, coming like a tidal wave. And so over the course of my tenure there, I built one of the first uh, tableside ordering tablets in the restaurant industry. And doing that required me to go in and out of thousands of different restaurants, uh, small and large, franchised and not, you know, large brand names and not and really understand, you know, what were consumers doing in there? How are they run? What challenges did they have? And while we, while we built and launched this product successfully, uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, which uh, is a 1300 location sports bar chain, one of the largest in the world. Yeah, a little place that a few folks have hopefully heard of. <laughs> but <laughs> exactly. Definitely. Yeah. 
or watch the games in. And, you know, there's, they have 70 TVs in there and all sorts of other stuff. But after we launched the tablet in their stores, you know, the, the, uh, I realized that there were much, much bigger problems to be, to be solved in retail. Um, problems far beyond the, the catchphrase, you know, Amazon, right? So if you ask somebody right. not in the industry of like, what's the problem with retail? Amazon. You know, what's the problem with, uh, you know, POS systems? Amazon. What's the problem with sales and marketing in retail? Amazon. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the lazy man's answer to everything that's wrong. But, you know, the reality is it's actually, it's actually much, much deeper than that. It's much more specific than that. And I realized that very few startups and very few companies in general were focusing on building products that were actually architected to solve problems in the retail, particularly the restaurant industry, from the ground up. You know, a lot of companies were taking products that they had built for digital businesses or e-businesses and reconfiguring them for retail or kind of kludging them together to work for retail as well. But for a lot of people, it was kind of an afterthought of this big behemoth of an industry with tons of complexity, antiquated technology, often staffed by people who didn't really understand digital and, you know, with a lot of physicality to it, right? And, and that's one of the things that really came out the most over the decade that I, that I spent in, in spending in the industry, which is, you know, the retail business is physical, it's wet, it's dirty, it's complicated, and it's filled with people. Right, and those people turn over at rates of like 100%, 170%. And so it's easy to understand in the abstract, boy, those businesses are hard to run. But when you see the difficulty of running businesses where there's thousands of locations and there's ranch sauce everywhere and there's you know, bartenders stealing and guys smoking dupes you know, at the dumpster and, and people coming in and out and not giving a crap about your brand or your, your marketing initiative that you're about to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on and you're putting in their hands you know, to execute well. It's truly a huge problem. <laughs> you know? and, and so you know, I started um, Hurify with my partner, Trent, um, who I met at, at Buzz Time and who, with whom we kind of developed the tablet together and kind of had this revelation together. And the idea was, hey, let's, let's start solving the bigger problems. Let's really figure out how do, we, how do we solve problems of marketing automation? How do we solve problems of engagement with local consumers? And luckily for us, I mean, Buffalo Wild Wings had so you know, liked the, re the relationship that we had uh, established in rolling out this tablet that they were our first client. And what they challenged us with is, hey, um, we're a monolithic brand at this point, gargantuan, largest sports bar chain in the country. But the problem is their success was really rooted in the connectivity with the local community and being this local bar and bar around the corner that people can go over and watch the game. In. And there were tons of things coming together to make their life really difficult, right? They, they were um, big. They, they were... Um, you know, a lot of staffing had to be done, a lot of training, um, tons of TVs. But the problem is the industry was catching up to them. You know, a lot of other places had, you know, 70 TVs in their locations. A lot of other places, um, you know, had a, a million beers. And so, um, you know, and, and most importantly, the individual consumer that they were, they were targeting now had a Buffalo Wild Wings-like environment in their home. Right, they had huge TVs. They could order yep. wings. Um, right. and, uh, yeah, so they were competing with with living rooms and, and man caves and, and dens. 
And so we, we tackled that. And just to clarify, the company was called Herify at that point, um, which is, uh, you know, the idea being we would make heroes out of the executives who would take the chance of hiring us. And we would, it wasn't about us. It was really about them and the companies that we were championing. And so, you know, for four years, we worked as Herify and, you know, I successfully essentially uh, ran the company as a bootstrap startup. And by that point, it was my fourth startup. And I realized early on, I said, you know what, let's launch this company as an organically grown bootstrap startup with no financing. And really for two things, not because we couldn't raise the money, we actually could, um, but because it forces you to do two things. One is it forces you to build products that customers actually want to buy because if you have to be not, especially pragmatic because you can't get wildly experimental because you have to know the market is along with you for the ride for, for that and those, those initial tests and those initial launches of, of those like parts of, of the program, right? And, and folks often don't forget that. They're like, oh, they just assume it's this unlimited amount of money in the bank account. Like, no, the, the burn rates can catch up pretty quickly. <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah. I mean, I think unless, until you're faced with the, with the, um, you know, chance of missing your payroll or, or asking for a loan from your parents or not being able to pay the rent, those things are so visceral that, you know, you could tell yourself all you want that, look, I have $25 million in the bank from, you know, venture capitalists, but I'm going to act like I have zero. Good luck. Right. I mean, that's just, that's something that is just not tenable and a lie that a lot of people tell themselves because it, it also forces you to do a lot of things. It forces you not to give away your product, right? It forces you not to do too many free trials. It forces you to, to focus on the things that are actually on a business level, really healthy, right? It forces you to sell your product for what you think it's worth, sell a product that customers actually want to buy and pay you for. And what that means is that you're solving a problem that actually hurts. Because as I'm sure you've seen, and a lot of listeners have seen, you know, buyers on the, whether it's the SaaS software side or digital or, or, or pillows or anything else, buyers on the, on the buy side will buy a lot of things that aren't live or, or die, right? They will buy a lot of things to test. They will buy a lot of things because you, you're a great salesperson. But when you're, when you're, uh, when you clear away all of this kind of fog of, of, you know, the, 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 all the other reasons why, why you're likely to sell a product, the best way to sell something and the best way to, to establish that relationship is by solving an actual problem that hurts. Because when the, when, the, you know, when the rubber meets the road and there's a recession or there's a problem at the customer and they have to cut budgets and they have to look at all the different projects and products that they've bought and, and the people that they've worked with, you know, they might have a nice relationship with you and really enjoy you know, eating oysters with you when you take them out, you know? but the reality is they're going to cut you if, if they don't really need you. And yeah, discretionary. It's funny, like discretionary purchases, people think of it in their home of like, oh, it's like artwork or, or like there's there's physical things, you know, redecorating like totally. stuff that that's like obvious stuff when people think discretionary. But for a business that you're selling to just keeping the lights on <clears throat> is core. And like you said, staffing, all of these other moving parts, especially so, you know, B-dubs totally. as, as the famous name, right? So as um, Buffalo Wild Wing, how many different things they're just juggling in order to keep the restaurant working from day to day, 
that's that could keep anybody busy and if they have to scale back yeah they're going to go they're going to go back to paper they're going to go back totally. to simpler systems totally. they they have the un, unfortunate ability and a high pain tolerance to go manual with a lot of stuff and and that's Absolutely. i've seen people face that unfortunate thing they're like but this will make your life much easier they're like you know, uh, customer yeah, says, but, I'm, I'm actually yeah. okay with it if I have to. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's so funny because you, you, see, you see the disbelief in the faces of people who do that. But they're like, but this is such a cool thing. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, it's the classic kind of but. But I could pay somebody to do that too. But That's I can right. live through the problem. And by the way, to your example, it, it really works on a, on a household level too, right? I mean, like, yeah, you think discretion, art and carpets are discretionary spending, but most people don't really know that until they don't have the money to afford extra bandwidth or extra computers or, you know, premium bananas versus Costco bananas. Like, there's so many layers of, of you know, that the definition of what is, you know, uh, what is truly, what do you truly need to survive, right? And for, on a business level, that means the lights go off, right? And so, you know things that are not critical go off and you know so so kind of king off that i mean we created a, a number of products that were absolutely phenomenal um and at doing a couple of very particular things like retail retail really lives or dies by three three kpis right or key, key performance indi uh, uh, indicators which is you know it's it's uh the the biggest and most important one is revenue driven by frequency, right? How many people come to your place, period, end of story. That is the overall live and die by statistic. And the ones after that that are uh, as important, maybe slightly less important, but still the, the absolutely top are dwell and check size, right? It's, and it's simply when you look at it in, in simple language, what does that really mean? It means how many customers, how, long, how much do they spend and how long do they stay? And, and so what we did early on is instead of focusing on things that we thought we could sell them or they thought were cool, we, we were absolutely draconian in focusing on things that drove those KPIs because we knew that if we could nail that, we would be, we would be important and necessary for them forever. And so we did things like, you know, create beer boards where we would integrate with their inventory management system for, for draft beer uh, or beer in general, which is the largest pour of beer in the world. They have 18,000 plus SKUs. And, you know, that was a nightmare because it was absolutely all, you know, physical and, and it, was, it was antiquated technology. But we rolled out these in-store screens that would update in real time. Uh, what beer was available, how fresh it was, but more interestingly, we keyed the promotion of that beer to the specifics of the individual restaurants, right? And so we would test what kind of beer sold better in the afternoons, which ones packaged up and which promotions converted better and all sorts of other things that digitizing that whole process allowed us to do. You know, we created products like uh, uh, Watch and Win, which we integrated with uh, a company that provided us sports stats in real time for 38 different sports. And we would create promotions that were triggered by uh, things that happened in sports, right? It's kind of the old, you know, bartender cowbell when a, when a touchdown is scored or a goal is scored. That's so that, right, yeah. You know, but, but, but because we were solving it in a technological way, we, we could do it with enormous scale and precision. So for example, uh, when the Vikings scored a, a touchdown, 
uh, all of the Buffalo Wild Wings in the Minneapolis area would uh, trigger a buy one, get one free beer promotion for 15 minutes, right? And our system was controlling all of it. It was listening for the scores. It was triggering the promotion to hit their screens inside the store. It was, uh, it was swapping over buttons on the POS system. It was essentially making that promotion hands-free, fully automated, and it wasn't touching the, the in-store staff or making their lives any harder. It was making their lives easier. And that was critical. And so we did a lot of things like uh, we executed thousands and thousands of different campaigns, so to speak. Um, and, you know, the, the, uh, we got to know the individual franchisees, the stores, you know, how, how we focused on the Bears and the Chicago stores and, or how we focused on, you know, Saudi Arabian Soccer League and the Riyadh store. And so, so we got to know their system really well. And over the course of four years, we added customers like MGM Resorts. We added customers like Skechers, like Westfield Malls. And we really started to understand how some of these mechanics work. And so by the end of 2017, you know, I had essentially grown this company from, you know, first year revenue of $170,000. And in 2017, we, we ended the year at uh, $2 million. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't sound like the billions that Facebook makes, but I have to tell you that organically growing a company like that from zero to $2 million, um, is tough. And it was, uh, we were inordinately proud uh, of that progress. But the one challenge was that we realized that we were building a different business than the one we wanted. Every new client was complex. It required a ton of custom work and was really about solving huge problems for enterprise clients and, and really going deep in terms of understanding uh, and integrating with their teams. And that's not a SaaS business. That is a technology agency business or a consultancy business. And so we did something, you know, that that was really difficult um, and the hardest thing I'd ever uh, done in my career, which is we stopped. We, we stopped and we said, look, we can keep going this way and we can build a great um, lifestyle business that throws off a great salary, um, really nice bonus checks. And and that's it. Or we can stop and we can build a, a real SaaS company. And we can use this years, these three years of experience to do it. And so what we did is we looked and said, okay, out of everything that we've executed, what have we done that has really worked that we can abstract into something that can be templatized into a platform? And long story short, Eric, you know, Targetable is a really unique startup, so to speak, because it's a startup that benefits from the experience of a predecessor, well, still its parent company, but a, a predecessing business that had generated three years of scaled, automated, um, I'm sorry, not automated, but uh, scaled and, and actually executed in-market business to, to create its product, right? So we had data going back three years of what works, what doesn't work, how, what are the operational challenges? How do we get around the complexities? How do we get around the staffing issues? And so we took all that and we said, okay, here's what we're going to do. What's obvious that what's obvious is, you know, the best type of marketing for a retail uh, physical business is local marketing. It's the kind of marketing that engages with the local consumer that understands where it is contextually and what, what environment it's operating in. But at the same time, that's also the most expensive marketing to execute, right? I mean, that's that, right. That, if yeah. anybody has tried to do advertising or, or sense would, it, it's it tuning to personalization is one thing, but personalization and localization 
it's an exponential change in complexity and cost of, of doing it and that and doing it at scale is is its own challenge that that's absolutely people have absolutely. to people may not realize that sometimes they think like oh yeah i'm <clears throat> i'm walking around that's why when a website asks about your location you know it's because you're i'm not i'm looking at the best buy site and and it, of course it's going to say hey that thing that you're looking at they've they've got something else just like it on sale and it's it's only mm-hmm, mm-hmm. half a mile away from you but there's a disturbing amount of complexity uh, in creating the, that combination of personalization with localization Absolutely. for anything, any variety of, of platforms too, because of you, you're selling into companies that they are selling into the customers. Mm-hmm. So you, it's not like you're taking one thing and I, I just have to be good at this one thing because I know it. You have to enable people to use their thing and use their network effect. It's, it's a, a profound level of difficulty that uh, people should hopefully if they just do any math history they'll they'll get why it's a tough challenge <laughs> absolutely absolutely and so you know so w- what we realized is first to your point there's so much data that can instruct you to 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 find kind of what what'll connect with That won't, right? There's so much data that's irrelevant, that's that's interesting or curious or, hey, people in green jackets who go out to opera on Sundays also like to buy hamburgers on Tuesdays in the afternoon. Who gives a shit, right? <laughs> like, right like exactly. How am I going to operationalize that? Am I going to make campaigns just for people in green jackets? Like, and th- those... So often in watching them, like, hey, Vlad, did you know that blah, blah, blah? And I'm like... No, I didn't know, and I'm not a better person for knowing that. Like, it's not like it doesn't help me or you or your business at all. And so that was one challenge. And the other challenge was, you know, how do you do this at cost, right? I mean, in many ways, targetable is a push against CRM. It's against the idea that the best way to market is by figuring out the three people, you know, in these five zip codes that want to buy a hamburger right now, and then finding a way to target them and get them into a burger selling restaurant. It's not, it doesn't pencil out. It's not possible, frankly. And I spent half my career, you know, in the business that, that gave me the data to know that that's not possible. And so instead of that, kind of what we built, what Targetable really is, is it's a completely virtualized advertising agency, soup to nuts. And customers of Targetable get the, uh, you know, advantages and the benefits of an agency that costs two, five, seven, ten thousand $10,000 a month for an individual customer or for an individual store in the case of large chains for what we charge per month, which ranges from 99 bucks to 300 bucks a month, depending on what you're doing. And that is the true magic of Targetable, which is it's first of all, it's comprehensive. And second of all, it delivers everything you need. And so here's what, what happens. So you log into Targetable. First thing we do is we ask you to, to uh, uh, log in using Facebook. And you know that's the one requirement. That's the one thing we ask customers to do, by the way. That's it. If you log in with Facebook, we have the data that we need to start generating ads for you that are better than anything else you're going to generate on your own. And when you do that, we start to build you another cool thing that customers now have that, you know, in many cases, we've now been in out of uh, customer offices where they're like, can we just buy that? And it's called the rich data profile. It's a, it's a, uh, uh, a combination of data about an individual location that is relevant to that location. 
And that comes from three different places. It comes from the location itself. Who are you? What's your address? You know, it's, it's you know, Joe, Joe Smith's Pizza Restaurant on the corner of, you know, X and Y streets. It's also all the data that has to do with, uh, that matters in terms of selling your product. What's the weather? What's the traffic? What are the sports being played around it? What are the demographics of the people around it? And finally, it's also all of the uh, data from the internet about you. It's all of your Yelp reviews. It's all of your Facebook. It's all of your Google uh, text. It's all of your everything, right? Open table, uh, you know, Snapchat, everything. And so within minutes, you know, we have synthesized a data profile for an individual business that is absolutely exhaustive. And more importantly, the system now updates that in real time in an ongoing manner. And so it doesn't matter if you're running an individual uh, uh, burger restaurant um, and this is your first restaurant and it makes six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year, which is which is fairly small. Or if you're a McDonald's, you know, on Broadway and, and 47th in New York and you're making, you know, three, four million dollars a year. That is more data than those businesses and those stores will probably see about themselves in one place at one time ever. And so we construct that on the fly. We optimize and update that um, forever after that. But more importantly, we then use that data to generate advertising that's already been formatted perfectly for multiple ad platforms. Out of the gate, it's formatted for Facebook, Instagram. By the end of the year, it'll be formatted for Google. Um, and it's really about the platforms that really drive local conversion, right? So we may, we may add things like Yelp and OpenTable, or we may go more to the retargeting business, or we may listen to our customers and add other platforms. But the reality is it'll keep adding platforms, you know, that, that make sense and, and that are easy to publish on. So we create ads that are formatted with creative and, and messaging that the customer can now, uh, you know, can now uh, edit, uh, edit and change whichever way they want. But more, more importantly, we create automatically the strategy that goes with that ad. And that's the magic. Because what we realize, the real, the real kind of uh, center core of the, of the problem we're solving is that the problem that customers are having is not ads right? It's nice that we create ads for them. It makes their life easier, et cetera, is that they don't know what to do with that ad afterwards. They don't know how much money to spend on it. They don't know which networks to put it on. They don't know how long to run it. They don't know which demographics to, to target. And so within seconds and minutes of engaging with Targetable, we're pushing out ads to you that are more optimized and better targeted than when Procter & Gamble is doing with multiple billions of dollars in spending. And we're doing yeah, that the amount over of and testing over and over that they're doing, and that's just it. Like people who've who've looked at how much you know if they've tried to set up anything in their own, like how do you get your information out there? Like I said, first it's picking a platform, then understanding sizing, scaling, targeting, all of this stuff. It's it, it very quickly breaks down, and also you know and. Kudos to you on the fact that you go to the you go to the, the website and you click pricing and it's there. And yep. it's one of my favorite things I always call it to people. Or somebody wrote a great tweet one time. They said, look, I can go to the SpaceX website and I can tell you how much it costs to send a football to the moon. There's no way that your goofy SaaS product has a dollar sign call beside the pricing. Like, tell me how it's much your product bullshit. costs. Right? It's such bullshit. Either you don't know how to price your product, by the way, or you don't know what it's worth. 
And it's, it, there's no reason, by the way, like if you look at our product in general, it's super simple, right? In, in, the, in the track of, of things like Shopify and things like Uber, you don't have to have a lot of complexity on the front end to impress a customer that you're doing a lot for them. Doing something in a super simple way, you know, when you look at Uber, Uber just, you know, it's a tiny dot that shows you a car that's coming closer and closer to you to pick you up. That doesn't mean that in the back, they're not moving heaven and earth, you know, in terms of complexity to yeah, a digitize a dispatching <laughs> system. No kidding, right? I mean, it's a complex thing they're doing. It's a very complex thing that we're doing, right? We're digitizing and we're automating advertising, right? We're, we're, we're taking in data. We're figuring out what the ad should look like. We're figuring out the strategy, blah, blah, blah. But on the front end, it kind of looks like Instagram. It's really simple. There's a feed, there's campaigns being generated, there's insights being generated about your business that you can tell us if we're right or wrong and build the intelligence of, of the system you know, for yourself. There's suggestions, there's all this data that's telling you, hey, it's Memorial Day. Did you get your memorial campaigns done? Why not? Let's get them done. Let's put them in the bank and let's schedule them for deployment. At the end of the day, the, 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 the product does uh, things that are actually very simple but that people just don't do very well. They're not very consistent. You know, they're not very, uh, the frequency is really off usually on advertising, meaning, you know, most, most small business people without a lot of digital knowledge and know-how, they'll wait, they'll, they'll, you know, do day, they'll waste days constructing a perfect ad, you know, asking, you know, Bob and IT, you know, who I have a buddy right. who knows digital really well, my cousin, like those people don't know digital advertising. <laughs> you know, those, and there's, by the way, there's a general feeling I've noticed, I don't know if you agree, which is like, there's this weird assumption in the industry in general with the public that just because you use Facebook and you run a, a, a Chinese takeout restaurant, you should know the advertising industry really well. You should know how to get on the Facebook platform, buy advertising, schedule it, target it, create it. Like, there's an assumption that you should know how to do that, that everything should now be self-service. Well, advertising is hard. <laughs> like it, yeah, it's, and it's, it's, a, it's a thing. It, it's actually so counter. And the worst thing that I find people do, and, and this is common, especially in, in technology founders bump into this problem all the time. They're like, they get frustrated. Like, I just, I know how to do this thing. I'm smarter than this machine. You're like, you know, you're building a piece of software. You're going to sell somebody to convince them to do something because they're not smarter than the machine. That Thus, you should humble yourself. You're not smarter than the machine. And there's certain things that like put their focus on the business value they can add instead of them figuring out how does advertising work because how does advertising work today, even if you nail it, even if you figure it out, you do all the reading, you go back and you, know, you read every single book about how it came uh -huh, together, you uh -huh. study all the guides, you do all the analytics, you pull it all together and you put up the first perfect Facebook ad today. In yep. three months, that will be, it will fall on deaf ears or deaf not eyes, mention, as it were, right? Yeah, not to mention that, by the way, congratulations, you did that. Okay, now do it again, because you That's should right. be putting out five to 10 of these a day, and then you should be doing that every single day, every single week, keeping an eye on it, making sure they're working, making sure they're not outdated, tracking the budgeting, tracking the, you know, effectiveness of your spending, and on and on and on and on, right? And so your cousin who knows IT, or like Billy's son who built his own website, they're not going to know how to do that. And they're, and they're not going to do that. And so for people who are busy running restaurants, Targetable is an absolute godsend, right? It's literally like they can set it and forget it. 
That's one way that it works. And if they do the work of onboarding, which is very simple, it'll suddenly start producing advertising that is, it's shockingly good. <laughs> it's shockingly effective. We started with a, a local San Diego um, a businessman who owns eight restaurants here in San Diego, and he was a real surly dude. <laughs> like these guys are, are no bullshit um, <laughs> business <laughs> people. If you're not doing shit for them, they are not interested, and they are not going to shellac, you know, their feedback in 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 nice words. And so, you know, we talked them into being kind of a early partner, R and D partner, kind of uh, testing it. You know, we set them up. We we had an account uh, uh, person help him uh, set up two of his restaurants, and you know, and then we didn't hear from them for like two months <laughs> we were like oh man like he oh no <laughs> and then he walked in and he said uh tell me what you need me to do and tell me who i should talk to to make sure you guys survive because i just looked at the numbers and we delivered in 90 days a 10 percent lift to his overall revenue 10 percent wow. like to a restaurant that is think about that like to a restaurant let's pick a round number a million bucks that is a lot, a lot of money that we just delivered to his bottom line. For restaurants, that is unthinkable. Well, Not and, to mention and, that he spent less than, you know, in the in the long run, he's spending less than three grand on this solution that's generating a hundred grand for the year. Right, and it's the 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 interesting thing of the of the numbers. Again, for people that don't get it, it's, uh, that aren't used to working in the percentages of percentages that are that make successful you know, conversions and, you know, it's what the idea of like the, like even the sales funnel, the whole idea is that you put in, you put in a hundred things at the top and you nurture them all the way through this whole process. You get about three at the bottom. And if you got to touch them and do stuff through, you know, some personal interaction, you'll probably get one at the bottom. So exactly. a 100 to one, so if you're doing 4% conversion, to you know actually selling something to your hundred inbounds you're doing well so if you can take that and you can get an uplift of 10 percent oh wow you know like that, anything you can do to move that that number up and then because especially it begins to scale and you look at those those things it's, and actually i want to tap into this neat thing sure. i love the approach that you took and the way you were able to do it is kind of the way that I, you know, how did AWS, how did Amazon make AWS dominant? Well, what they did was they solved a problem that they had, and then they started to sell that as a service to people because they're like, hey, other people need infrastructure that can do incredible amounts of scale and growth and logistics. So let's, we solved that problem for ourselves. Let's start sharing it and selling it. And effectively you did that same thing as you built something at That's scale right. for a, a massive, organization more than one organization and then you took that model and said what if i delivered it for somebody who is not at scale but then they want to get to scale or so whatever their scale it's it's a rare opportunity to create something that is proven at scale and then can easily scale down it's it's just like a human thing of like hey if i can do something and i can do 10 times a day i can do a thing I got to work really hard before I can get a job doing it a hundred times a day versus I can do it a thousand times a week. And now I have to do it 40 times a week. You're going to get hired. Exactly. It's a, it's a neat thing of the approach. It's, and the fact that you bootstrapped it is really cool because again, like being able to be aggressive on look, this is the approach we're taking. We're going to bootstrap, we're going to build, and we're going to take this, this thing that works at scale 
So, you know, again, kudos to you and, and the team on that. really, really nailing down tough things uh, in a unique way. And, you know, it's, I, I'm excited. Plus, also, anybody that's been listening, they've just received uh, literally like an MBA lesson <laughs> in the course of the time we've already been talking. Uh, you know, so. Well, if you want to use more MBA terms, Eric, I feel like you said that way too simply. I think that the reality is what we did is we strategically de-risked <laughs> our investment right. in time with synergistic, optimizing uh, the synergistic <laughs> operationalization of the actionable data. Sorry, go on. And And so the other thing to tap into as well is Look, advertising is a really tough thing it, that having, why would you want as a business owner, want to be really good at it? And even if you're really good at it, be really good at it forever. Uh, if they are so good at advertising, then they should shed their business and get into advertising. Well, by the way, they could be really good at advertising. Our product's not just for, for people who are like we've noticed, look, we're very we're very attractive to uh, small business people. We're also very attractive to large businesses, right? We've got a lot yeah. of demand from franchisees of large systems, the the subways, the Buffalo Wildlings, the Arby's, the Firehouse Subs, the the folks who understand that. Look, at the end of the day, what we do just provides. A, an enormously cost-efficient way of doing something that needs to be done, and the system does it better than humans, right? Because media buying and planning, it's a question of data. You were just saying that. It's looking at the data. It's analyzing if it's working. It's maybe testing. This image worked or this image worked. This wording worked or this wording worked. This spending or this spending. This zip code or this zip code. Well, that's a job for a robot. Like, it, this is a job. This is, you know, our system you know, never shows up drunk, never shows up hungover, isn't sad, you know, isn't in the middle of a breakup. But media planners are, especially junior media planners. Think about what you're really buying with an agency for 5,000 bucks a month, which is serious cash for a, a, for a restaurant, right? For sure, yeah. Because, because 5,000 bucks buys a lot of hot dogs, <laughs> buys a lot of you know, value pack advertising, which they can look at and, and, and feel and, and show people. But the reality is what it really buys you is, is less than 100% of a junior media plan, right? Because that's less than 60 grand a year. Like it's not, it's, it's just not, you know, it, it's not, it doesn't pencil out because right. the reality is a, a, a chain like Buffalo Wild Wings has to do this for every one of their 1,300 restaurants. And that's where this whole thing breaks down because the reason Targetable exists is because economically, even if the agency was killing it, a, a brand like Buffalo Wild Wings or a Subway or anybody with more than, let's say, 10 locations, no matter how good the job is, you can't spend $5,000 times every single location. You'd be spending millions and millions and millions just on this when you can spend a lot less. You know? and, and that's that's why we could do what we do and, and why what we do is relevant, not just for people who are good at advertising, but the people who are spectacular at advertising because we take off – we let them focus on stuff that matters a lot more. We make them, right. we let them focus on the creative and figuring out how to engage at the restaurant and figuring out how to train their people instead of sitting there for hours and doing this kind of routine work that just needs to be done to be good. And the, the thing that uh, is, maybe it's frightening for people when they get into this and they look and they're like, oh God, you're, you're like, I read Chaos Monkeys. I know how Facebook advertises. Like people get really weirded out <laughs> around the idea of like the machine making decisions for you and like, Oh yeah, mm -hmm, I, I watched mm -hmm. the, the big, the great hack and Oh, you know, all this, 
all the sort of like fear and and concern over the AI driving behavioral patterns and whatnot. Well, really, what totally. it is, it's a it's a merger of two uh, incredibly powerful things. Number one, personalization. So being able to have you as a local restaurateur, franchisee, owner of whatever, to influence, uh, uh, you know, your local community. But then to, through the network effect of your organization, through the ability to tap into data that's in other places, like franchisees, the, it, doing these things across different geos, across different states, different cities, different towns, different halves of them all. Like, there's a reason there's, you know, the joke of a, there's a Starbucks on every other corner of the same intersection. Well, because they know more people, their people walk both ways and they have to get them all. And so they were, they're willing to put the data at work to put the expense in and it proves itself out. So what you're Absolutely. doing is the idea that that, that owner, that business entrepreneur can then take their personalization, feed it into a successful local system. And then you optimize that system along with every other system that aligns with that. And then you can have it become self-managing. And exactly. this is the, it's never taking, it's not like you're saying like, Hey, you know, get out of the business. Uh, you well, don't need to look, do anything. You just, just turn us on and we work like, no, 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 feed us. No, no, no. Yeah. And then no, and it's more than that, Eric. Right. Yeah, and it's more than that, right? That's a great point. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've heard like, whoa, I don't want this thing to just, you know, I don't want this thing to like run wild and do blah, blah, blah. Um, and you're right. I mean, in many ways, the fear is very irrational. But at the same time, it doesn't matter. Like, you have to deal with that fear. Um, you can't just be like, well, that's stupid. You're stupid. <laughs> that's a stupid way to think, and I'm out of here. You know, the reality is, you know, we built the system in a very particular way to address that, which is the system never does anything you don't want it to do, right? And so you can you can oversee and manage and, and do by hand as much or as little of this as you want. You can set the system to set it and forget it, or you can have it ask you at every single turn and at every single thing, it'll ask you what you want to do. It'll suggest things. You know, there's a reason that the system doesn't just generate campaigns. It has one of the simplest and most elegant build your own campaign tools in, in that I've ever seen, right? If you really want to do this yourself, have at it, right? I mean, so you can build a campaign step-by-step step within our system. And it, that, that build a campaign tool is engineered to work really, really well for you, the customer, right? Because right. if you've ever used Facebook's tool, or Google's tool, which they've been working on for decades, it's a, it's a nightmare, right? Yeah, Google, tool, every, everything with Google's UI reminds me if you took a robot and hired it to build an AI <laughs> on how it thinks another robot would interact with a system that a human would use. There's like, yes. they're so disconnected mm -hmm. from actual human experience. It's disturbing. Yeah. But for it what looks they like do, an EKG. It looks like an EKG <laughs> exactly. that meets a, you know, Excel spreadsheet from 1988. And sadly, like the thing that they do really well is, is 
you know, obviously an incredibly scalable business, but the user experience, yeah. I always joke that so the reason why Google's APIs for their stuff is so good is because the UI is so horrifying that they have to exactly. make it so that exactly. you can use an API. <laughs> well, ultimately, look, at the, the, at the end of the day, there's two things why, you know, why when, when investors or other people talk to us and they're like, well, aren't you afraid of Facebook doing this themselves? Or like the, the venture capitalist favorite question, which is, well, what if Google does this? It's like, well, I don't know. What if, I don't know. What if Google decides that you're irrelevant. What if the, what if Google right. decides to be in the venture business? What does that mean to you? But um, uh, the reality is two things. One is Facebook's never going to help you buy ads on Google. Exactly. So, so <laughs> our system, you know, longer term, one thing we're looking at is really being able to figure out like what is actually the best place to spend your next dollar, right? Is it is it on Google or on on Facebook um, or on Yelp or or on YouTube, right? And so the, the Facebook or Google, no individual platform is actually going to do that. The second thing is, no individual customer will ever be that important to Facebook, right? There's a reason that you know after a decade of still building their platform. You can still make a mistake, like spend like uh, less than a dollar a day in a campaign. That's a rule that Facebook has. Um, but they'll let you they'll let you put that campaign in, and then they'll reject it like three days later. Which yeah, that's right. They're like, hey, thanks it, for it's that. It's such a yeah, but it's such an amazing it's an amazing signal of how little they really care about your time, the missed sales, an event that might have had, needed to happen. They just don't care. Like, and it, it's not it's not a evil thing. It's the fact that their focus is on the mass, right? And their focus is on them. And so our focus is on the individual business, right? And so uh, the things that we do, for example, in our campaign manager to the same example, you won't be able to move on from that step unless you fix that problem. We're going to tell you, oh, hey, you, the way you structured this, it's 90 cents a day. Facebook won't approve this. Fix this now, right? right? And it's a small, subtle thing, but it's very emblematic of why tools built for a purpose like this are often really better than bolt-on tools that are built as an afterthought to the bigger business, right? And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. And we, you have that in, in many, many places in our system, which, by the way, I mean, launched October 1st. We're at 10% of where we're really going to be and, and, you know, what we really want to do. Because if you think about today, you know, we're a virtualized ad agency for the restaurant business, but that is a self-imposed focus right because you know another you know when i started this company i decided for myself i had two rules which is one um don't work with assholes and i broke that rule on day two because it's just, <laughs> there's too many assholes in the world but the second the second thing was make new mistakes right because you know when i started my first company um, in New York, I rented space in Gramercy Park as the first step because, by the way, you know, you had to have a beautiful office for customers uh, so they wouldn't think you're about, real. Right? <laughs> and I had piled on like $50,000 of burn a month before I even signed a single customer. Um, that's one and other places I made other mistakes. But, um, you know, I really wanted to make new mistakes. I really want to make sure I wasn't repeating mistakes that I had already made and to really, you know, to, uh, you know have have the benefit of that. And so... You know, big, big development of this was focus because we can fix uh, a lot of problems for a lot of people just because you can doesn't mean you should. 
And so we force ourselves to, to really fix a problem of effective local marketing that is, you know, pre-formatted, pre-optimized, fully, fully solved, fully, fully solved, not just, you know, quasi solved for the restaurant business. Well, then what we do is relevant so broadly. What we do is Well, that, and it's, um, you know, advertising their business to real estate agencies, to, to, to real estate developers, you know, who can integrate what we do into their build outs to, you know, to, to the entire retail industry. So, you know, we're, we're, we have a lot of choices ahead of us if we're successful and the, and the early stats are, are truly amazing. You know, I think yeah. we're solving a real need. It's definitely the, the thing of, you know, I always talk about, every every startup that i watch you know the typical that like you get to know them like hopefully you touch them in stealth and i'm excited when i can talk through and i've got friends in, in venture capital so i get exposed to kind of those early stories and and you watch it and my favorite thing is kind of like working backwards because they, they tell me like here's the thing that this is our our first product we're going to launch it's going to come out of stealth on on you know next march or whatever and so you're like okay that's interesting that's your first product that you're bringing to the that's the the go-to market like that's not the product though. There's something bigger. Like there's always the system you're building has an initial go to market. There's always a bigger story and effectively you've done it. It's like, this is, this is the first, we know it's a, a workable, provable, saleable, scalable market, but guess right. what? You know, you add, you take restaurants and you then add, like you said, whatever, the, whatever those, those secondary, you know, targeted businesses are or whatever it's going to be, the machine already works. Uh, and so quite often it's, it's the first thing worked and now what do we do beyond that? And, and there's really probably a lot of stories of, of companies we don't even realize because it's under the covers, it's hidden behind things because people who go to Buffalo Wild Wings or go to Subway or go to these companies, they don't know how they do the things they do. They just know like, hey, I want a tasty six inch sub right now. <laughs> they don't think about that thing but then they go to the doctor or they go to, you know, a bookstore and the very same thing could be driving their ability to be aware of where to go and, and where, how to find things and how to get better yeah. at, at buying decisions. It's, it's so funny that uh, you can, you're sort of hidden in a way, uh, but you're so much a part of, of this consumer and, and an enjoyable buyer experience. Cause that's what it's for. Like, like you said, if you think what's the problem you're solving, the problem you're solving is keeping people in those seats or bringing them to the seat in the first place and keeping them there a little longer and really making that sort of like lifetime value and that, that current stay value of the customer a little longer, you know, make it, make it a reason for them to hang out. And it's not through, you know, nefarious methods. It's just like, Hey, what do we do to make it so that they like what they're doing? So they want to do it a little longer or spend a little more money. And it's funny you said that, uh, you know, nefarious methods. And, you know, I always have this debate with my mother who's, who's busy, like, adjusting her privacy settings on Facebook. And <laughs> I right. always tell her, like, look, you, that ship has sailed. Like, I, we work with a lot of different data. And I'm like, uh, boy, the only, the only, the only uh, solution you really have is not to be famous or somebody anybody cares about. Because otherwise, you know, there's, there's ways to get to your data that you're never going to protect yourself against. And so a lot of this fear, like, I always wonder when people are like, man, I hate that these companies are, are getting data about me and, and sending me better advertising that I care more about. 
It's just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you want to get shittier advertising that sells you things you don't want to do because, by the way, advertising is part of the world. Like, it's, it's just, it's never going to go away. And the only reason it's here is because it works. <laughs> because if it didn't work, nobody would do it. But the reality is, we took a, you know, the way that we're doing it is doing an interesting thing, which is we don't touch customer data. We don't, we don't, we don't care who you are. We don't care about your name and your email and your, and your mobile phone number. I mean, we care a little bit, but it's certainly not like the thing that uh, really drives us. And we still generate advertising that is uh, classes and classes of effectiveness uh, ahead of uh, most everything else. Because if you do the work, you don't need to know who somebody is. You just need to know their context. And if right. you know their context, you can send them better ads. Yeah, and it's uh, I, uh, one thing that we, I, and we, we I, God, we could spend another hour just talking straight about like the pure, the, the challenge of ethics in, in advertising in general. I'd actually, I, well, I'm going to tap you to have a, have a, a long form conversation on that one because you obviously have a, a, a deep experience in the market. I'd love to kind of pick to. your brain on some of those things. Um, I, have pretty, uh, I have pretty violent thoughts on that, having run through ad agencies, but I did get out of the business for a very particular reason, but um, we can pick that one up uh, another time. That, that is for sure. Well, let me tell you, Vlad, this has been incredible, uh, and especially thank you for sharing the story. I'm excited in, in watching the, the growth of, of the company, you know, your journey. We will definitely, I'll set up something. We're going to get back together and talk a couple more times because uh, you're such a, a dynamic person to, to talk with, and, and I hope folks have enjoyed this. We'll, uh, we'll dig in a little more. We'll, you know, keep keep me in tune as well, obviously, as you get through the next sort of phases with, with targetable itself. Uh, but yeah, we'll get you back on soon and we're going to make sure that we, uh, you know, get people to take a look at it and really just more to, you know, think about the story we just told and, and the, and as you're looking at your startup as your founding story and, and anybody that wants to, you know, even if they look at just building a simple product or a project inside their organization, it's these lessons are they play out in different ways you take the word advertising out you take the word restaurant out and you what are you doing you're creating a system of optimization that creates localization and personalization right mix yeah. it up to whatever the industry is and and these are really profound lessons and then i very actually, much appreciate Eric, that to expand on what you were saying and first of all thank you so much for having me just absolute pleasure talking to you and and we'll we'll absolutely look forward to and enjoy talking to you again and um I'll, I'll take your uh, abstraction one step uh, uh, further up the chain, which is to say that at the end of the day, what we do is, you know, w we take data, figure out what of it matters, and then facilitate a response to it in real time. And when you think about what that means to anybody listening who's looking at businesses, that is what today's world is about. It's about reacting in real time. And not waiting minutes, weeks, months, because today's consumer doesn't have the patience. And that is not going to come back, no matter how much you would like it to come back for the benefit of your product. So keep that in mind. Life comes at you fast, as they say, and, and it's no joke. It is it is truly there. And, and like you said, it's if I'm going to go and I'm going to get in the business of, of expanding my business, I very certainly don't want to figure out the machine because even like you said, if you do figure it out, all great, you know, but life will change. The, the system will change. 
even, you know, looking at stuff like um, recently, you know, uh, looking at the way that the algorithm works inside Google and all of a sudden you find the rankings completely shift because Google themselves will, will shift the way they're doing business. So uh, yeah. do you as a business owner want to get into the, the game of figuring that out? No. Uh, so tap the tools that do it in, in the best possible way and, and look at platform opportunities. So with that, I'll say definitely Vlad. So how do folks get a hold of you if they wanted to, to chat further with you? Uh, other than of course, I recommend sure. go to Targetable, check it out, targetable.com. Um, go, go to targetable.com. I'm actually very re responsive on LinkedIn. Um, which has become kind of the world's Rolodex um, and way to kind of uh, pre-filter uh, business connections. And then I'll, I'll risk uh, giving my email on this podcast as it's mostly professionalized. So Vlad, V-L-A-D, at targetable.com, uh, questions uh, about entrepreneurship or, or about your business. I'm actually, uh, I love talking to other entrepreneurs, people who are in the trenches and trying to solve problems. Um, super busy, but always uh, could find time to connect. So reach out and um, you'll probably uh, get a response. Well, and thank you for that, Vlad. I tell you, that's the, the power of people uh, to do great things with machines. And, and this is what I, I love, the, the story you told. And the, well, we'll definitely, uh, I look forward to talking again. Uh, with that, of course, folks who do want to want to keep listening uh, and hearing other great stories like this, do jump on, go to iTunes, uh, hit subscribe if you haven't already, if you just caught this one as an individual episode. Uh, rate it if you can. It's always appreciated if you go in and rate because I myself and am in the advertising uh, you know, business of, of making sure we get to the top of the list. And the more folks that we bring, the more opportunities we can have great conversations with, like, with great folks. So Vlad, thank you for taking the time with us today. Thank you, Eric. Uh, and, I just subscribed uh, to your podcast. Ah, there we go. There we go. There one, we more, one more tick up. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure and I look forward to talking again soon. Likewise. Take care, Eric. Thanks so much. You're listening to today's Cool Palsy Podcast.